As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everyone, and welcome to Power Hour. I'm Nicole Auerbach. He is Chris Manini, and we're here as we always are to discuss the latest in college football. Before we begin, just want to remind everyone to follow this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review, leave a question, and we will answer it. You can also subscribe to the Until Saturday feed on YouTube and leave us voicemails for our Sunday Sound Off podcast. Wanted to give you a couple other notes here as we are in the holiday season. You can get a one-year gift subscription to The Athletic for $19.99, two years for $39.99 by visiting theathletic.com slash gift sale. Also something we do during the holiday season, The Athletic celebrates its most compelling, informative, and fun written and audio content of the year in our best of article. Be on the lookout for that next Monday, December 18th. You can also read the Until Saturday newsletter. You get your daily fill of college football right into your inbox in written form to go along with the Until Saturday podcast feed. That is all of the things you need to know. There is a lot to get into with the holiday season upon us, Chris. Um, If I could gift you a subscription or gift you the best of, I would do it for you. Happy early holidays. It's Hanukkah, so we can at least say happy holidays these days. And uh, hope you are finally... Getting a little bit of a breather after the regular season, the conference championship games, the coaching carousel has slowed down just a little. I'm going to knock on wood there for that. Uh, so how are we doing? How are we doing, Chris? We're in a weird time of year because it's like the most eventful part of the college football offseason, but we're still in the season and we still have games to play. We've got quarterbacks moving around. We've got coaches moving around. This is like the stuff that happens in like the spring in the NFL, but we we do it in December. We've got signing day next week. We, we have everything that happens in this month and it makes no sense. And we actually have a question in the open bar about this later on, but it, this is always the strangest time of year as someone who is always in college football where it's like you kind of take a break, but not really. And everybody involved just feels weird about it all. And obviously, like we are football heavy, but college basketball is underway. Like there's just a lot happening all at once right now. And we will get into some of those December things 
the calendar itself. We will get into that uh, in the open bar. So nice tease. Let's let's just dive into the power five, though. And this is the part of the show where we take on five topics. Um, We treat them in rapid succession, power hour style. They are not about a minute. They go a little bit further as much as they need to. And I will start here with number one. You know, we've been tracking all these quarterbacks who've entered the portal. We have been thinking and discussing the impact of these types of decisions and the fact that places like Ohio State and elsewhere can just go into the portal and grab somebody. So there's been all these big names floating around. We finally have some announced landing places. On Tuesday, Riley Leonard officially announced that he is going to Notre Dame. That was the world's worst kept secret. We all knew that was happening, but it became official. And Tyler Van Dyke from Miami now going to Wisconsin. So those two are official. We see the new quarterbacks in their new places for 2024. And I'm curious your reaction to to both of those. Obviously, I, I think Riley Leonard to Notre Dame made a lot of sense. Clearly, there's a pipeline from North Carolina ACC quarterbacks who pretty established players going to Notre Dame. The Tyler Van Dyke to Wisconsin, that one surprises me a little bit just in terms of maybe the inconsistencies that we saw from TVD at Miami at times. But I'm curious your thoughts, Chris, on on both of these official moves. Well, we got inconsistency at Wisconsin as well. Remember, they had three, I think three transfer quarterbacks came in last year led by Tanner Mordecai. He got hurt. They had some injuries. The offense was dreadful. That transition from perhaps opening it up more to go with the typical Wisconsin running attack did not happen. So I am really interested to see how that works out. I'm not sure about the fit for everybody. I think, honestly, if you're talking about like first year head coaches, Wisconsin and Luke Fickle might have been the biggest disappointment in year one. Uh, And so I guess we'll see about Tyler Van Dyke and how that works. Riley Leonard to Notre Dame makes a lot of sense. Typical similar schools, you know, he played Notre Dame, Sam Hartman, yada, yada. It all, it all makes sense. Also, Dylan Gabriel to Oregon also made a lot of sense. Happened a little bit ago. It's been talked about on this feed before. So, yeah, this is, again, this is that weird time of year where we've got, you know, quarterbacks going to new teams despite their old team's seasons not being over. Miami has a bowl game. Duke has a bowl game. So it's just, it's weird. And we're having more and more quarterbacks go in, veteran quarterbacks, don't know if this is going to be a trend. Again, we'll get to that topic in the open bar as well. So we, we, some of these are starting to move. We're getting the quarterbacks to make decisions. They don't have to make decisions this quickly, by the way. The portal still kind of just opened, but it's moving quickly. It is. And we're also seeing that second round of recruitment for a lot of these guys. We're seeing quarterbacks take visits and go to Miami and people publicize. It's very similar to, you know, those high-end recruits and the publicity around their various visits as well. Um, And again, we're still waiting on some of the big names out there. Will Howard, Cam Ward, Kyle McCord, DJ Uangalele. So there will be plenty still to come. You're right, though. We do have this free agency period while we also have the December signing period coming up um, and so much to track there, especially with um, with everything that is unfolding with Dylan Rayola and everything else. So a lot to come. We'll get into some of the trend lines and the bigger stories as we get on later in the show. But uh, take it away for number two, Chris. Number two, we've got some new defensive coordinators hired or defensive coaches hired. Michigan State hired Joe Rossi 
from Minnesota. Mm, TCU, TCU hired Andy Avalos, former Boise State head coach. And Lincoln Riley added Matt Entz, the North Dakota State head coach, to be the linebackers coach, which was an interesting move. Which one of these three, Nicole, was most interesting to you? Because they're all kind of unique. Yeah, so the Matt Entz one was, I think, the biggest, wait, what, moment? Because this is during the FCS playoffs, and North Dakota State is playing. They are in the semifinals. So that one, and also just kind of major or broader implications of a head coach of one of the best jobs in FCS, you contend for national championships every year, not even getting a coordinator label getting a position coach position in the power five. I know he's like the associate head coach and defense and yeah, like assistant, assistant head, head coach of defense, defense, whatever that means. Yeah, yeah. But, but like that, that was very interesting. And I think we're kind of looking and paying extra close attention to some of these types of moves because we're trying to figure out what is changing in the landscape and this idea of a power two and about, you know, what are the big 10 the sec even assistant coaches, what are the trend lines there? And are those going to be steps up from folks in the Big 12 and the ACC? And so this was just really interesting with a really, really good FCS job and the timing of them being in a playoff run. Plus, the Joe Rossi one also intrigues me. And, you know, that he, he's going to your alma mater. We've talked a lot about Jonathan Smith and that hire from Michigan State. But we've also talked about, like, where the Spartans are in the pecking order in the Big Ten. So I thought that was an interesting statement, leaving Minnesota to go to Michigan State. Yeah, Jonathan Smith has a very large assistant salary pool, bigger than what Mel Tucker had. And you go and get a pretty good defense coordinator within your own conference. I mean, I think that kind of tells you the quality of the Michigan State job and where it is. Uh, Jonathan Smith has otherwise brought over a lot of coaches from Oregon State. And it's interesting because the turnaround for Jonathan Smith at Oregon State coincided with him promoting Trent Bray to defensive coordinator. Bray stayed back, got the head coaching job there. So that's a big hire for Jonathan Smith. He's got to get that one right. To go back to Matt Entz in North Dakota State, you're right. It is extremely weird timing Because, like you said, they are in the FCS semifinals. They're about to play, I think, Montana uh, coming up here soon. But things have slid under Matt Entz at North Dakota State. Fans, boosters, not loving what's been going on. They they have taken a step back. They actually didn't get a bye this year in the playoffs. So this run to the semifinals is actually kind of surprising. And I think Entz was, I think, in the mix for New Mexico as well. But... Again, that's an FBS head coaching job. It kind of makes more sense. You think about the other coaches before him. Craig Bowl, North Dakota State to Wyoming. Chris Kleiman, North Dakota State to uh, Kansas State. David Braun, the defensive coordinator under Entz, gets the defensive coordinator job at Northwestern, gets promoted to interim head coaching. It's the job. Entz is going to be a position coach, which I think kind of just says where things are at. I think for North Dakota State, it might be a good time for a change for all parties involved. Curious to see where that job goes. But you'll see Matt Entz's record. You'll, you'll see an amazing record. Hey, North Dakota State coach, it's, you know, how, how could uh, how could he only get this type of job? Things had been slipping there. And so I'm, I'm not ultimately totally surprised this happened. It is kind of surprising it happened or at least got announced before they play a game. He will coach mm. the rest of the playoffs. So that is something to watch. 
in the FCS playoffs this weekend. Yes, and how the team responds, because I imagine that that is not ideal for it to break during the postseason run. All right, let's move on to number three. Um, so about a month before the NCAA convention happens each year, which is in January, and Chris and I will both be there, the NCAA puts out all of the proposed legislation and everything that will actually be voted on. So you and I were both scrolling through and seeing what might be interesting or what popped out or what we kind of forgot was something that might be on the docket or tweaks or whatever is out there. First of all, just wanted to mention like that the subdivision that everything that we talked about with Charlie Baker's proposal, that is not being voted on. Like that is not, this is, we're we're absolutely not on that type of a timeline. Um, And it was never going to be something that was going to be actually up for a vote this quickly. So this is all stuff that we have either had people introduce or talk about over the last year. Um, And so there are a couple interesting ones just wanted to hit on just to prime you guys for what could be coming next month if it gets approved. There was a lot of like formal NIL legislation proposed. So when people have talked about transparency and the need for like people to report deals, um, that type of stuff is being written out and will be voted on. So one of the proposals was that you had to have uh, you have to report to a specific person at your school any NIL deal that is larger than six hundred dollars and then it would be anonymized or however you say that word into a database that the NCAA would collect so they could look at trend lines and have actual data for, you know, like this sport, this is the average NIL deal or gender or whatever that you might be looking at, maybe even by age and experience level. They'll be able to sort all of that stuff with this information. Um, I think that for the public schools, I would think that whatever submitted to the NCAA would be uh, available to be FOIA'd so we could possibly get some information on some of these deals. Uh, which would also be, again, good for transparency. There would be a registry for agents. Uh, but basically, disclosures um, is is part of what is being proposed. And then other areas, there were just some other tweaks and some small stuff with, you know, for, for penalties that get announced, like show causes and things like that, they would be able to name names. Right now, they don't. They say, like, a former head coach or the assistant coach and, you know, you know, everyone knows who these things are about. There's no real the the, the head football them. coach at Tennessee when Jeremy Pruitt was the head coach has been suspe- has been given a show right. cause. Just I wonder say, who that could just be. Just say his name. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, so there would be like a little you know some sort of record keeping on things like that. Um, one of the the things that we thought was interesting was being able to penalize people who are not cooperating during the investigation. And actually, part of that rule is already in effect that they could penalize someone during an ongoing investigation. Um, but part of like, you know, what you can appeal or can't appeal, those types of things are they're tweaking some of that. But so there's there's a lot of little stuff. Uh, the NIL stuff is big, but it's stuff that we've been talking about for a long time. So it doesn't feel super crazy or new. But if you think about it, everyone's been operating under this interim NIL policy since July 2021, which is basically like the NCAA putting their hands up and saying, if you have a state law, follow it. If you don't like just no pay for play. Uh, and you can't incentivize recruits, which we all know these things are happening anyway. But this is actually creating like real rules, allowing athletes to make money off their NIL and to create some rules around it. Again, nothing is surprising. They are trying to basically put in some common sense things as they continue to ask Congress for help, actually creating like restrictions and stricter rules around NIL. 
Yeah, the NIL disclosure stuff is is interesting. I, I'm sure a lot of players' rights advocates would be against that type of stuff, believing it's it's meant to suppress you know numbers that are out there. Because a lot of coaches and schools will say the numbers that are out there are not real. We've seen a lot of people in the NIL space say, "Hey, those numbers are not real. Those valuation numbers are not real numbers." So the NCAA is trying to say, "Hey, let's get some real." data here, but it might be in the player's benefit if it's not. So, you know, players don't exactly have a vote on this, so we'll see how it goes. I'm curious. It it, it seemed to imply there might be like a registry for agents or at least a a way for players looking for an agent to kind of understand who to go to. And that's notable because uh, our colleague Jesse Temple wrote a really good story uh, a couple days ago about a a Syracuse player who committed to transfer to Wisconsin, backed out, turned out to be a whole bunch of drama with, with, with his agent and in the player space, the agent, the agent world is really, um, new and some of them are very professional and know what they're doing. Some of them don't. And I I think there are some people in there who are taking advantage of, of, of kids and that kind of needs to be sorted out. The one that's most interesting to me of these two proposals is the naming names, naming names of the coaches and and penalizing, not only penalizing them during an investigation for not cooperating, but publicizing that. That that will put a lot more attention on a lot of these uh, investigations as they go on. So we will see next month when you you and I are there at the convention. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Number four. Oregon State and Washington State blocked a revenue distribution from the Pac-12 last week. Uh, First reported by the Mercury News, I confirmed it, talked to people on both sides of that. And and the 10 departing Pac-12 schools are pretty pissed off about this because this is the first time that that the two schools, the Pac-2, are blocking money from this year's revenue to going to the 10 departing schools. There is a typically a December distribution. It's about 15%. Turns out to be about maybe $6 million per school that is given to everybody in the conference at this time of year. It's not in the bylaws, but it's just a traditional thing that they've done. And right now, everything that happens in the Pac-12 has to get a unanimous vote. When Oregon State and Washington State did their Mountain West agreement, that got a unanimous vote from everybody. This did not. Oregon State and Washington State prevented this from happening. So this is taking things to another level. And the 10 departing schools are saying, look, you can, all the future money in the conference, you can have all that. The money that we get for being in the conference this year is ours. And we should have that. Oregon State and Washington State say there's a lot of liabilities coming up. 
we need to work out how that's going to work. You've got lawsuits against the conference, the NCAA, the Power Five, and they just, I guess they haven't really figured out what to do about that down the road if the Pac-12 is found liable for one of these things. So uh, kind of flew under the radar, um, but there could be some more legal action this week. But yeah, this is this is the first time throughout this whole legal fight that Oregon State and Washington State have blocked money, blocked money from going to the departing 10. So that kind of takes it up another notch. It does. And it's also very interesting because, you know, we've been following a lot of these legal maneuverings and the two schools are not supposed to do something that is going to materially harm the other schools. Like there Correct. was, um, you know, when they got granted the uh, preliminary injunction, which now there's a stay. And so people are, again, are still operating under this idea of like only things that are unanimous can move th- forward. They were told like, we believe that you'll treat everyone fairly and won't harm them. And this is the first time again, that's really being questioned um, about something related to this academic year, which is what those 10 schools were worried about. They were worried about the money that they believe they're owed, that they budgeted for, that they planned on for this year. So it is getting uglier. It is going up a notch. Uh, will be interesting to continue to track that. The fifth and final bullet point of the Power Five is an ongoing, uh, we're seeing, again, continued uh, political pressure in the state of Florida uh, on the college football playoff committee. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody announced Tuesday that she is launching an investigation into the CFP selection com- committee over the decision to leave Florida State out of the top four. She said the state's antitrust division is sending a civil investigative demand to the committee for more information about the nature of possible contracts, conspiracies in restraint of trade, or monopolization of trade and commerce related to anti-competitive effects of the college football playoff. Uh, so again, we, we've seen a lot of politicians like Governor Ron DeSantis setting aside money to potentially sue the committee. The Florida legislator has, you know, it would have to get involved. Um, there is a lot of people looking for brownie points and political points in the state of Florida. People are still very upset, rightfully so, about FSU being left out of the top four. Um Again, Chris, I'll get your thoughts on like if this has the potential to go anywhere. But one of the things that the attorney general is looking for is communication between the SEC, ACC, NCAA, ESPN, Group of Five, and Power Conferences as they relate to deliberations, compensation of committee members, which they don't get paid. So I don't know where that where that's coming from. Do, do they? Uh, I guess I didn't know that for for being on the committee. No, I they, they these are volunteer positions. They're just prestigious. I learned Um, something. How individual committee members voted, the names of those present during any votes, information related to the software used to record votes, in addition to several (laughs) other requests. So also, like some of this, like the NCAA is not involved with the college football playoffs. So like some of this is like a little bit of a lack of understanding of exactly how the CFP works. What do you make of the Florida Attorney General, which atten- attorneys general really getting involved in uh, in college sports these days? But this is a different avenue for the anger in the state of Florida. Yeah, I'm kind of personally getting sick of all these attorney generals and everybody jumping into college sports for things that are decided within college sports. But specific to this, 
don't really care. Don't think it's going to really mean anything. Nothing's going to happen. I don't think they're going to discover some conspiracy that ESPN wanted Alabama to play. None of that's going to happen. However, they have essentially sent a subpoena to the playoff. And I'm curious if any of this becomes public. Note-taking, deliberations, talking points. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious if if uh, anything comes out of that that just comes public, just so we get kind of more of a look at how things work. We've done the mock committee. We know the process, but we don't know certain things and how they work. Again, I don't think any of this is going to be nefarious, but I am personally, as someone who loves transparency and loves when documents get released publicly uh, to see if there's anything interesting in there. But for the most part, no, this is just political grandstanding. Don't need to take it seriously. Nothing's going to change. I'm just generally curious if uh, we get some inside information about how things work. Yeah. I mean, if we ever got to the point where you actually got to see how individual votes were made or what yeah. the groupings were, uh, what real strength of schedule metrics are, but also like, obviously a lot of these conversations, if not all are said in person, which is why they fly every week yeah, and do all of this orally oral arguments and debates. Um, but you know, we know folks that have been on the committee that are on the committee. Everyone takes notes. Everyone brings notes with them, prepares notes. That would be interesting if we ever got a peek into that. Also, like we saw all of this political posturing from Greg Sankey on game day. Um, you know, were, were anyone in those rooms getting text messages about things and, and, yeah. and about, you know, did they talk about the conversations that we were all having publicly about the different conferences and those teams. So any of that, which again, I'm not expecting would be fascinating and we would love to have, but yes, this feels like people just want brownie points. And again, that is what happens with some of these things. Uh, but we pray that we will actually learn something new. Uh, I want to move into our open bar segment. This is when we hear from you, our listeners every Monday and Tuesday, we put out a little prompt on the athletic website asking for questions for our mailbag for Power Hour. Uh, and we got two really interesting ones I want to make sure we have some time for. And Chris, I'll tee you up on this first one from Michael J. This is what you were talking about right off the top. He said, it's bizarre how the offseason and postseason occur simultaneously. I have a few questions about it all. Let's start with number one. If someone enters the transfer portal, are they still eligible to play in their current team's bowl game yes and there there are players who do that um it's generally up to the coach and the player if they both want to have it happen sometimes players go in the portal and don't want to play sometimes they do and coach says if you go in the portal you're gone sometimes they can go to the portal and coach says yeah we western kentucky last year had a couple of players in the portal played in the bowl game ended up staying so yes they are eligible to play in the bowl game it's just kind of up to everybody involved if they want to. It, it kind of gets into the the fundamental arguments of like when you go in the portal, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't come back to your own team, but it does if your head coach says that the second you go in the portal, your scholarship's gone. Um, yep. But that's not how everyone operates. And we have seen players in a number of places withdraw from the portal and, and return because there was a spot for them. So it's it's kind of the same on a, on a smaller scale. Uh here is a bigger picture question that we talk about a lot. David Ubbin wrote about this last week. Is there a way to delay the start of the offseason until after the postseason? Is it realistic to delay opening the portal window until January, given the academic calendars of each university? Some of it, yes. 
some of it, no. The high school signing period, that can go back to February like or January like the way it used to be. That won't interfere with anything. Coaching changes just happen at the whims of the schools and the coaches. There's no timeline requirements for any of that stuff. That could theoretically happen whenever. It just happens earlier and earlier because of everything else going on. The portal, no, because you need to generally be enrolled in the next school in early January. And that's why the the, the schools that have a later start to their spring semester in January typically have an advantage in the portal because they have more time and uh, potentially more access to players as opposed to ones that close sooner. So the portal has to happen pretty much now because you got to give kids a chance to go see everything and enroll in the school by the next spring. So some of it, yes, I think, I, I think there would be a good amount of support to move signing day back to the, uh, back to early the next year. Although didn't look like there's anything in the assembly proposals about that. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, but Yes. So the answer is some of it. I would absolutely start with the December signing period, getting rid of that. I would push that back or do it before the fall season. If you really are sure on someone and you want it to be done or they want it to be done. Um, But I would take it out of the regular season, take it out of the postseason um, and do either or. And then there's other ideas. I mean, this is all just going to get so much worse with the expanded college football playoff, more meaningful yeah. game. So actually, maybe you will have, maybe people will go into the portal later because they'll be playing in games. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's modifications for, for teams that will be playing in the CFP that the portal will open after they play, et cetera, their last game. Um, but so that could be impacted for sure. But these are meaningful games that people are going to be playing. There's huge pressure to hire the right coach, hire the right staff. If you're making staffing changes, like there's just a lot going on. Um, and I would remove the high school signing period. You already have enough coaches who are upset about the way the portal has impacted high school recruiting, but they should not be at the same time. And and that's one thing. There are coaches who think the high school signing period should be before the portal opens. I would just, not have them overlap. I would not have them in the same time yeah. period and just separate them completely yeah. so that you're not completely overhauling your staff at the same time. So there's definitely some things that could be worked on, um, but really like there's people who have creative ideas and then what ends up happening is people work in the margins and they tweak things and they don't really fundamentally wholesale change things. Would love to see a little bit more of that. Speaking of like wholesale change, last question from Michael J. Is there any way to make non-playoff bowl games meaningful again? And he gave the example of Sam Hartman, Drake May opting out of their bowl games and a bunch of good players that are in bowl games are in the portal right now. What do you think? To each their own on that depends on what your definition of meaningful is, uh, because I generally feel like no. You're you're not going to change that. We've we'll talk about briefly. We got some bowl games coming up this weekend with some really good players on those teams who are not playing. They are in the portal. So, uh, no the the non playoff bowl games have have never been more of an exhibition than they are now and will be this year and will be moving forward. Um, because of that, you're just you're going to have a lot of players not playing because of the NFL, not playing because of the portal, and it's going to a big chunk of that is going to be getting ready for next season. So 
you know, if you got two backup quarterbacks playing in a bowl game and in, in, in the middle of December and it turns out to be a really fun game and you get into it, good. That that's that's what it is. Outside of that, not really much else you can do. I don't I don't see the bowl games paying players a bunch of money to play. I don't think that'll make a difference anyway. So no, you'll just have to appreciate bowl games for what they are now, which is just some guys playing football in December in college football. And if you like that, then you got plenty of it. And again, like part of this is why they expanded the playoff. Um, There'll be more teams playing games that matter that give them a chance to compete for a national championship. So I have talked to friends who hate opt outs who are like people still opt out or enter the portal, you know, even if they're in the playoff, I can't imagine that that is going to be a common occurrence. If your team is still alive with a chance to play for a national championship, even if you're a lower seed, like that's only going to help whatever your draft stock is or whatever you want to get on film to potentially transfer. Like you're not seeing mass exoduses from the teams that are in the college football playoff. You're seeing like maybe a third string player here or there. But there, there was like Jackson Smith and Jigba last year, some fans saying, hey, could he have played? Could he not have? But he didn't play most of the season. Right. And I think that, that was a rare. I'm say, I, I think more of like a yeah a healthy scratch, a healthy scratch yeah. or like a starter entering the portal while their team still has a chance to play for a national championship. I that's these are not going to be common occurrences. I, I can't imagine. So I, I don't that's I don't think Cal, I don't think I don't think Cal McCord's in the portal if Ohio State's playing in a playoff game, you know, no, no, definitely not. Um, so, and again, like these things will adapt. They will have, the portal will open for those players who are playing later into the year. So they don't have to do it on the same timeline yes. as everybody else. So we'll see though. This is, these are really good questions because, you know, there were some side effects or unintended consequences of the 14 playoff. And there will certainly be some of the 12 team as well. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Last question here in the open bar from Jordan W. He said, there's been a lot of conversation this season about college football. And one thing I haven't heard much about is how the COVID waiver is affecting the sport and how it will change once it's done, which I think is 2024. Um, This is a good question. I, I have tried to calculate this myself, but we do have a couple more seasons here of those fifth, sixth, even seventh year guys like Cam Rising, who's coming back to Utah. Dylan Gabriel's been around a long time. Cam Ward's been around a long time. So essentially what Justin is asking is where are the young quarterback stars and what is going to change for the teams that have been relying on these like ultra veteran quarterbacks these last couple seasons when they don't have them anymore. Yeah, I think it's going to be 2025 because if if say you were a freshman in 2020, that season doesn't count. Say you redshirted in 2021, then you would have four more years. So 22, 23, 24, 25. So I think that is when it will eventually end. And this is, I'm glad this question was asked because this is the most 
under-discussed or least-discussed factor in a lot of what's going on in college football right now. Because you have fifth, six-year guys who normally wouldn't have those years who are still playing. That impacts the transfer portal. That impacts class sizes. That impacts guys getting playing time when they're younger or not. And, and that is, you know, all these, you know, every year the transfer portal opens and there's a big hullabaloo. Look at all these guys in, in the transfer portal. A lot of those guys have extra years that they wouldn't normally have. So you'll see those numbers go down in a couple of years. Finally, high school classes will get bigger again. It's just, you know, that was something in 2020. It was an unprecedented situation. Nobody knew what to, to know, to expect. You had some conferences canceling seasons. And so they simply said, look, everybody gets an extra year. I think at the time it made complete sense because nobody knew what you know the future was going to be. But it was going to take a long time for those people to uh, filter out. And in terms of where are the young QBs and those type of guys, our colleague Max Olson had a fascinating tweet a couple days ago. The top 10 recruits, top 10 quarterback recruits in 2021, only two of them did not transfer. J.J. McCarthy and Drake May. The ones who did transfer, Quinn Ewers, Caleb Williams, Sam Heward, Brock Vandegrift, Kyle McCord, Ty Thompson, Jake Garcia, Jackson Dart. That means if you signed a top 10 quarterback, there's an 80 in 2021, there's an 80% chance he left your team. So this is just kind of the new world of, of quarterbacks. And, and it, again, may take a few years for those young guys to get the opportunities again because they're not getting them right now because there's so many veterans who are hanging around. And this is something coaches started talking about really after the first year where they had to decide if you were keeping players or not with the extra eligibility because they only got one year of roster relief where they could go over 85. Yeah. And then they had to start making decisions. So, you know, do you keep a veteran an extra year that you weren't planning on? Or do you take a high school player, right? Like th there have been a lot of players impacted by this outside of quarterbacks, but just roster management. And then I would also add that it could go even deeper than 2025. If you got some injured players who redshirt or who just redshirt in general, you know, so like this will, there will still be some lingering players um, as we get into the mid ish 2020s. Um, one other thing that I think is really interesting, and I think we could talk uh, a lot about all offseason, is really just what I, what do you end up doing if you are a super highly touted quarterback recruit now? Like, you just laid out all the data. Max tracks it every single year about how frequently guys are transferring. I mean, are you better off these days, especially if you see, like, an Ohio State or uh, a Georgia or whoever, just like they could just go in the portal at any point and just take somebody. Oregon just did this, right? You just pop in the portal and take somebody. Like, are you better off if you're a four or five star guy going somewhere you know you'll play, even if it's a lower level than you wanted to be at? Maybe even it's the lower level, like inside of a conference that you wanted to be in, but it's not like the top, top tier. Have a good season, have two good seasons, and then transfer up. Go somewhere better from there. Like, aren't you better off doing that? than riding the bench or competing for a, you know, a job in year one. Like, I think there could be some really interesting behavioral changes for some of those top tier quarterbacks coming out of high school. And I I'm really interested, especially once we get through this cycle um, and see where some of these players land, especially like a Dylan Rayola, which there's other factors there about why you might choose a Nebraska over a Georgia. But 
what do quarterbacks start doing understanding these dynamics and understanding that you can commit somewhere and they could still just pop into the portal and add somebody else next year that was not part of I, your plan it, it, it's why personally like when i see a quarterback commit somewhere or sign somewhere uh, a top quarterback like it doesn't mean that much to me because you don't know if he's going to be there in a year because he may play and not play well or he may not play and then wants to leave after a year again the top 10 top 20 quarterbacks are transferring at an extremely high rate. So it almost doesn't matter if you get them the first time. It matters more if you get them the second time around. And that that is something to keep in mind. And, you know, we'll talk about Dylan Rayola here, but, you know, where is Dylan Rayola in two years? He transferred to a lot of high schools, committed to several colleges. He may transfer in a couple of years. It's just the way things go now. So just, you know, it's worth keeping that in mind. It is. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to track and then kind of track over the next couple of years. All right, let's move into our happy hour segment. We talk about something that we like, something that brings us joy. I want to start with uh, the event that happened over the weekend. Army Navy, one of the absolute best things you can ever treat yourself to go to. It is on people's buckets list for a reason. It's phenomenal. Army wins, and they also won the Commander-in-Chief Trophy. It's the 10th time in program history that that thing goes to West Point. It was a great game, close game, even though it didn't seem like it was going to be for the whole time. Uh, But shout out to Army for beating Navy, for singing second, and for winning the Commander-in-Chief Trophy. This year's game was so similar to last year's game. the, The last two have come down to inches a year ago, Navy had a blocked punt return touchdown. This year, they have a fumble return touchdown. Last year, Navy fumbles at the goal line in overtime and Army recovers. This year, Navy gets stopped at the goal line on fourth down on the final play of the game. Not the final play of the game. Uh, and to get the win, a really fun game, always is. And for for those of you uh, of, of the the uh, the betting you know type, that last play of the game was extremely meaningful. Army takes a safety mm. on the last play of the game because it's over and to, to put the total at 28. That meant you pushed for a lot of people who got it at 28 or you hit the over if you had it at 27 and a half. You and I both took under 27 and a half on last week's pod. So technically the, the service academy under tradition did not hit because of an intentional safety on the last play of the game. Wild we stuff. We couldn't have known that they were going to do that, Chris. I know. This is this is why this is why it's tough Don't stuff. Bet. This is why the, the best bet. bettors win 55% of their bets most of the time. I know. So, I know. That's uh, wild crazy. Wild game, fun game. Fun atmosphere to have it in a new place too, to do it in Foxborough. Yeah. I would love them to move it around the country again. There really is like all these like old-timey photos of it being played at the Rose Bowl and Soldier Field. Yeah, love, those I are the only other two times. The, yeah, the only two times like, has been outside the bring it back the, outside in New York, D.C. Bring it yeah. back. It would be awesome. Awesome to have here in Soldier Field. OK, uh, other happy hour topic is, Chris, we have covered a lot of the coaching changes. Um, we went real deep on some of the early openings and some of those early hires. But there's been kind of like a whole second wave of hires. The only open job in FBS right now is Troy. Um, so of the many, many hires that have been made, um, I'd say like, let's date back to like 
Indiana hiring Kurt Signetti, Trent Bray, you mentioned being elevated, Sean Lewis at San Diego State, Willie Fritz, Houston, all of that kind of grouping of hires that have been made in the last week and a half-ish. Uh, give me one or two that you really liked that you think is is going to work, knowing that we don't have a crystal ball, don't know for sure, but ones that you feel good about. The first one is the most recent one, Tulane hiring John Summerall from Troy. This is a pretty big coup for Tulane to hire one of the top group of five coaches to another group of five job. A year ago, Tulane hired away Summerall's defense coordinator, Sheil Wood, from Troy. Now they get the head coach. And Troy has a lot to offer. It's a good job. It's a good group of five job. They just announced plans for an indoor facility. But Tulane just has more money and, and is willing to spend that on a coach and keep up. And, and there were a lot of concerns about Tulane. The athletic director, Troy Dannon, leaves. Willie Fritz leaves. Will there be that commitment? Will they build the a bubble practice field that they want to do? Will they make some of these other upgrades? The money they put forth to get John Summerall tells me that the new administration or the new AD same president, plans to commit a high level to keep Tulane football up again. Because remember, they go undefeated in 1998, and then the bottom falls out a couple years later. They're trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. Great hire for Tulane. The other one, San Diego State. Sean Lewis, exactly the kind of thing that program needed to go from that boring defensive style to someone who's going to run uh, run a fast offense, throw the ball around. They've got a really good quarterback recruit, Last I checked, he was going to visit San Diego State. He'd committed to Colorado because of Sean Lewis, checking out some other schools now. Uh, so things are moving in a good direction, I think, for San Diego State as well. What about you? Any of those jump out to you among the recent hires? Yeah, um, I think, you know, we all talked about Sean Lewis a lot this season um, early on for what he was able to do with Shadur Sanders, but then also when um, he got demoted midseason and sort of some of the treatment there. I think that's a great hire for San Diego State. They needed excitement. They needed to put butts in seats at that new stadium. I think they're going to be able to do that. And there's no reason that that should not be the program contending for the group of five spot in the playoff most years. Um, they've got, I think, everything you need. They're also, you know, in Southern California, your only other Southern California FBS programs are now going to be in the Big Ten. So, you know, like, what is that going to look like? How is that going to affect possibly their recruiting? Interested to see all of that. The other one uh, that I want to mention is Willie Fritz Houston. We He's been on a lot of coaching candidate lists. He's done an incredible job where he's been. And it's taken a lot for someone to pry him out of Tulane. And his decision to yeah. stay last year, everything that happened with Georgia Tech, um, was huge, huge for Tulane. And Houston made a big decision. They spent a lot of money to make a change and get rid of Dana Holgerson. This is an attractive job, a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of support there. And um, I just think Willie Fritz is a really good coach. I think he uh, I first got to know him when he was at Georgia Southern. And I, I just think that that's going to work. I thought whoever was going to get him, it was probably going to work. And some of the stuff was like about his age, or whatever, right? That that things were like, well, maybe he's not the right guy for job X or job Y. But I feel good about this one and uh, very interested to see because, you know, we we talked about this at times throughout the season, but those Big 12 newcomers really struggled in year one. And Houston feels like it should be able to make that jump and start playing at a at a higher level. You also got now the Pac-12 schools coming in next year too. So that that whole league is going to be uh 
up for a refresh. So very interested to see how how that one goes as well uh, here as we move forward. Um, time for On the Rocks. We talk about things that are frustrating, things that where there's friction. We talked about Michigan basically for like a month and a half straight. And finally, there's some other topics to get into. Chris, I want to talk about the Heisman Trophy ceremony. This is one of the events that I've covered before, and it's one of the events that is way better to just watch at home on TV than cover, <laughs> which is hard to say because, like, basically, that's not true about anything in sports. But you cover it, and I, I'm sure it's still the same way. I was watching on TV in a in a ballroom workroom across the street from the actual ceremony. So I found out that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman because of Twitter. So that was lovely <laughs> for someone who's devoting the time and resources to go cover it. But there's a lot of different things, I think, that feel very antiquated, feel very old, um, don't feel like how you should make an event a big deal in 2023. So wanted to vent, but also maybe come up with some ideas we have of how we would fix the Heisman Trophy whole celebration, whole process, really. Because, Chris, you and I talk about this every year. I mean, one of the things that you get most riled up about is the fact that we can't say who we're voted for until after the award is announced. So I I would start by fixing that. I assume you would as well. Yes, I I, I just think, look, by the way, the viewership for this year, up for the the most in like five years since Joe Burrow won it, perhaps because it was a bit of a mystery still as to who would win it. It wasn't so clear cut. So maybe things jump back in the right direction, but it, it doesn't feel like a must watch. I don't watch it until the last 10 minutes when I know who's going to win because it's the first Saturday we have off for the most part in months. And so I want to spend my Saturday and most of my Saturday night doing other things and then flip it on for the last 10 minutes to see who wins. I wish we could spend the week debating it and, and saying, Hey, I voted, I voted for Michael Penix. Number one, I would have loved to have had that conversation during the week instead of saying it after the fact, and then getting a bunch of LSU fans mad at me, you know, cause I didn't vote for Jaden Daniels. So I just think it'd be better if we spent that week. Cause like the only stuff we talk about now is coaching changes and now transfer portal. And next year it's going to be playoff matchups. So like it, it feels like the, it ultimately takes a backseat to a lot of things. It's, it doesn't feel like as big of a deal as it used to, you have said many times we need to have fewer voters. Is that we something do. you would change? Yes. There There's are like almost it's like almost a thousand. Right? Almost a thousand voters. And Chris, like you and I both know people who have Heisman votes who don't work in sports anymore, who cover baseball, who just have no, no realistic like if you if you ask them why they still have it, I'm sure what they would say is it's cool to have the Heisman vote. But like it should be people who are actively working in college football, engaged in college football, can watch things nationally. You still also have a lot of people who, because they make this regional and they put the regional like trend lines on voting, only vote for someone in their region. Like I get they do that because there are inherent biases. And especially if you cover a team, you're not going to be able to watch everything on Saturdays. Right. But they need to totally revamp the way that they give out votes or who they have voting on this thing, because there's a ton of people that shouldn't and a ton of people that don't work in college football. And so like at the bare minimum, that should be the requirement. Like you should be actively working in college football. Maybe you set a minimum of how long you've been doing it, 
whatever that is, but it should not be 900 something people voting on this thing. Who, who, whoever voted JJ McCarthy number one should be put in jail for real. Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of mixed on that. I think it is sometimes good to have a large pool so we don't have group think and we don't all coalesce around a certain thing. And if you have some weird people who vote for JJ McCarthy, number one, they, they will get drowned out by the vast majority of people who, who do it otherwise. But you're right. I don't know. I shoot a thousand people. I'd love to just find out exactly what that entire list is. Cause, uh, that, that is, that is too much. A thousand is too much. I think you can narrow that down. I think you can do it in other ways. Um, aside from the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which is okay, the College Bowl Awards show now basically sucks. And it's because it's in December and coaches and players and everybody are off recruiting and transferring and doing all these yeah. things. Remember, remember, it used to be like at Disney World or in Atlanta, you'd get all the big coaches, all the big players there. They do some fun skits sometimes. Like it felt like a celebration of college football. Now it's just a pre taped show on ESPN. They announce the winner. They've already done an interview. It's boring. There's no juice. You don't see that moment when somebody wins the award. Like that's that's a fun stuff. So I actually think the award show needs a perhaps a bigger overall than the Heisman. But yeah, I, I think there are some ideas we could do to kind of modernize the Heisman, which is really falling behind the times. In some ways it's charming, but some ways it's not. I just think in both of those examples, the other award show and this as well, it just buries something that should be about celebrating incredible seasons or, or like careers of individual players. And, you know, I've also been an advocate for taking more finalists to New York, like just take five every year. I don't take five every year. There was no reason. And this happens every year. They, they do it like off of a drop off, right. In the votes. Yeah. Like Marvin Harrison was well behind third place, Bo Nix, but they still brought Mm -hmm. him, but they didn't bring, Jordan Travis, who was well behind Marvin Harrison, like they could have easily taken five there. Like there was no reason. And you should be more about celebrating those players. But all of it just ends up feeling buried because there's not as much buildup. There's too many other things happening and it's not a destination television moment. And I love watching speeches. I love the actual moment when the player wins the Heisman. Yeah. But the rest of the show, I would revamp um, and certainly with the awards, too. And it feels like every sport is kind of struggling with when to give out your awards. Um, yeah. Baseball is a baseball. huge problem. Ba- yeah, baseball is worse. <laughs> baseball is definitely worse. So I get that this isn't unique to college football, but we'll 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 mull this over because I, I think there's some some real opportunities to to come up with some ideas and, and potentially change things. Um before we get out of the rock segment, um, our site has been all over. The Seth Emerson had a really good piece about this from the Georgia perspective. But uh, Dylan Rayola might be flipping his commitment from Georgia to Nebraska. Crystal ball prediction 24-7 flipped it to Nebraska. Mitch Sherman has been all over this about what it could mean that Nebraska would be landing the former number one recruit in the class. Um, we'll be tackling this more in depth with Mitch Sherman on Thursday stars matter podcast, by the way, as well, those guys will go much more in depth about how this happened, why it's happening, what it would mean for both programs. Um, but <laughs> our producer cam put a great note. Oh, saw this earlier today. Uh, our pals over at message board geniuses, were having a field day with this one. And there was a, one of the all time great posts, a Georgia message 
message board fan asks if they, if anyone knows anyone who works at the Atlanta airport over Delta um, and could get his flight canceled to prevent him from flipping and getting to Nebraska. And that's like an all time moment. They were like, obviously it's like a lot to interfere with a commercial flight. Yes, that is true. That is true. Absolutely true. Um, but and it's the but. That's why we love college football fans. It's never enough. It's not too much of a deterrent to then still ask if anyone knows anyone who works at Delta or at the Atlanta airport and can get involved. Amazing. Amazing stuff. But so Stars Matter will go much more fully on this. And our pals at Seth Emerson, Mitch, Mitch Sherman, everybody will be all over this uh, on the Athletics website as well. Yes. Ba- baseball fans in the show, Shohan, uh, Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Uh Long way to go before you get to the level of college football where you're asking fans to delay flights. So uh, they they had their first taste, but yeah, this whole thing is weird. By the way, Dylan Riola's uncle Donovan Riola is a court, is a coach at Nebraska. So like there are, there are other connections there. Probably not a coincidence that a week or so ago Matt Rule was talking about the going rate for quarterbacks in, in the transfer portal. It may all tie together. We'll see. I think it's maybe good for college football if the number one recruit goes somewhere else. You know, Travis Hunter going to Jackson State and then Colorado, Dylan Rayola potentially going to Nebraska. I don't think NIL has spread the wealth the way that people thought it would. It's still the best, biggest schools getting the both best, best players. That hasn't really changed. But a player here or there going another direction because of NIL would be fun. But like I said, he's transferred at a few high schools. He's committed to several different colleges. Will Dylan Rayola be on the roster in two years is a very good question. It is, and I also am fully for players uh, going to different places or potentially bringing programs back. Everyone wants to see Nebraska back, except for their rivals, of course. But like you know, it's they're a blue blood program is trying to regain, recapture what they used to be, uh, and it would be fascinating to see a uh, a quarterback like Rayola pick Nebraska um, and just sort of the momentum for Matt Rule heading into year two. With the Huskers. All right, we got to wrap up the show. Uh, we always do that with the last call. It's cheers or a jeers. It's whatever we want to get off our chest as the bar is closing. Final round of drinks. We're cheersing or ranting about some last topic. I'm going to go first because you gave me a perfect little transition into this. I would like to give my last call to the chaos that was baseball reporting around Shohei Otani's <laughs> decision not to go to Toronto. You had a plane being tracked. You had multiple fan sites, it looked like, report the wrong thing. But the the flight, you also had a, an, a respected national reporter getting that one wrong, saying he was on a flight to Toronto. That wasn't true. And then it's all officially broken by the player themselves on Instagram and the agents just come out and say, here are the terms. It's just, it's it's incredible. It is not even nearly as crazy as college football, as you mentioned. No one was trying to interfere with and stop a flight. They were just showing up at the Toronto airport to see people get off of it. That is that, like it, it, 15 that years. Had somebody, and that flight had somebody from Shark Tank on it. Yes. This, That's who was this, on the flight. <laughs> this was like where college football was 15 years ago when we first became aware of Flight Aware and started yeah. tracking flights. Baseball, baseball, you will get there. You will get there. It will get worse. It will get crazier. And the chaos of all of that, I think I texted you like two days before Otani finally announced where he was going. And I was like, 
this is crazy. It felt like my entire Twitter feed was held hostage by this decision. And it was so reminiscent of is Les Miles going to Michigan or, you know, some of these like all time college football botched uh, reporting and searches and all the back and forth around all of this. I think back about like Jimbo Fisher to A&M and the Christmas tree. Could you imagine if we got something like the Christmas tree in another sport? Like college football is the premier sport for all of this. The fact that basically Twitter and all of these other social media sites now resemble message boards is not an accident. That means everyone else is turning into college football fans about everything, politics, news, and now other sports. So welcome aboard. It's not great. But it's crazy, and we love it, and we can't quit it. So cheers to baseball's discovery of the college football message board culture. You also had, like college football, teams couldn't talk about the player like it was recruiting because Otani's camp apparently didn't want anything to go public. And the manager of the Dodgers was like asked about it, said, yeah, we had a good meeting. And got in trouble for that. His his front office was like, yeah, he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so like, it really felt like, you know, when coaches can't talk about the number one recruit and, and where they're going. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of felt like, remember Arch Manning? Remember Arch Manning's commitment? Yes. Happened on Twitter. He yes. made an account to tweet the news out of the blue. Yep. And, and so it did feel a lot like that. So baseball, welcome to college football culture. You got a long ways to go. But that was pretty funny. And Shohei Otani, I know much of his salary is going to be deferred, but technically the deal averages $70 million per year, which is nearly Jimbo Fisher's entire $76 million buyout every year. It's like that's not even real at that point. Crazy. Well, at least he'll be presumably playing the sport and doing the thing that he was hired to do, unlike a buyout for... yeah. Well, he'll get the money either way, I guess. Otani as well. So we'll see. All right. My last call. Bowl games. They're here this weekend. Folks, there are not too many bowl games. If there is somebody in your life who says that, cut them out of your life. This is the most wonderful time of the year. Do you remember back when ESPN used to have Capital One Bowl Week and they used to say it was the most wonderful time of the year? That's because it is. We've got the Myrtle Beach Bowl, the New Orleans Bowl, the Cure Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, the LA Bowl, the Independence Bowl. Also the famous Toastery Bowl, which was supposed to be in the Bahamas and is instead in Charlotte. Got a lot of games coming up here. I'm excited about them. Uh, Georgia Southern Ohio's the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Curtis Rourke, star quarterback for Ohio, not playing because he's in the portal. So again, we don't know what to expect. I would not recommend betting on any of these games because you don't know who the heck is playing in these games. But... It's fun football. I'm excited to see these games. Miami of Ohio, if you haven't watched them, Miami of Ohio versus App State in the Cure Bowl should be a lot of fun. New Mexico State, Diego Pavia, get to know that name. He's the guy who beat Auburn. He's the guy who's done a lot of things this year. Like he peed on the New Mexico practice field uh, earlier this season. He's a junior college national champion, a high school championship wrestler. Really cool guy. Uh, I don't know him personally, but he's a fun football player. UCLA, Boise State. Boise State might be down to their third string quarterback. UCLA might be too. We don't know. But there's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy these games. The last college football we get this year, the last time we'll see a lot of these teams. Strap in. Enjoy the bowl games. Enjoy seeing various things poured on a coach. This is going to be fun. Don't let anybody tell you there are too many bowl games. It is not true. 
And we have an edible pop tart, which I still want to know yes. what flavor it is, exactly how it's going to work. Like, there's still just a lot of mysteries left to solve this bowl season. So, uh, cheers to bowls. They are here. They are our last football for a long time. So, enjoy it. Uh, eat some Cheez Its while you do it. Whatever your, your heart desires. Um, but that'll do it for Power Hour for, uh, this week, we covered a lot of ground, and we, of course, always end on something ridiculous like an edible Pop-Tart mascot, and that's that's what this show is. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Power Hour. Chris and I really enjoy getting to do it, and it's because you guys listen. And if you want to help support us, please make sure you're following the Until Saturday podcast feed wherever you listen to your podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes are up. You can also hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and follow us there. For the written word, you can subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter and get that in your inbox every single day. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. This is Power Hour, and we'll talk to you next time.